You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The great thing about the Smart Talk is that it's really adaptable to how, as the family changes, as the kids are changing, and as technology is changing. We wanted that flexibility to really be a, a key part of, of this tool. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some interesting stories to share this week. And later in the show, my conversation with Kim Allman from Norton LifeLock and Carrie Neal of the National PTA. We're discussing the Smart Talk 2.0 tool. All right, Joe, before we jump into our stories uh, this week, you have a little bit of news to share. Yes, I've accepted a position as uh, director of cyber science with a company called Harbor Labs. Congratulations. Thank you. So Thank what, you. What, what exactly does this mean for you? Uh, well, it means I'm going to be doing some research on uh, device security and uh, also on uh, probably doing some legal work as well gotcha. to support uh, attorneys. But mostly my my focus is going to be on the security of medical devices, which is, I think, very important. And so what does this mean in terms of your relationship with Johns Hopkins? I will be going to a part-time relationship with Johns Hopkins. I, I'm not leaving Hopkins. I'm going to still be there, maintain my presence, maintain my email address, uh, and maintain my work with the institution to just add a much lower rate. I see. I'll be spending about 20%. So essentially what I have now is two jobs, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, and that actually relates to one of our stories this week, but we'll get to that in a second. Now, Harbor Labs has a Hopkins connection, right? Yes, that's correct. The uh, owner of Harbor Labs is uh, Dr. Avi Rubin, who is uh, one of our professors in the Information Security Institute and uh, and has a chair, or a seat rather, not the chair, but a seat in the, uh, or an appointment. That's the term I'm looking for. (laughs) Appointment in the computer science department as well. I see. All right. Well, congratulations. That's very exciting. Thank I, you. I know you're excited for it. I am. I'm very excited. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our stories this week. Why don't you get us started? Dave, I have a story from a listener this week. Okay. A listener named Bo who sent this in, and I was floored by this story. Hmm. This is an amazing and harrowing tale. Okay. So I'm going to read some of this. He says, hello, Dave and Joe. I have been listening to Hacking Humans uh, for years now, back in 2017, I was the target of a pretty wild attack that I've been calling human DDoS. Hmm. So here's what happened. During the early parts of a business day, he started receiving hundreds upon hundreds of emails to his personal email account. Hmm. And these emails were mostly sign up or random mailing lists. Yeah. And he was confused by this. But being a person who maintains an orderly inbox, he was diligently going through them and deleting them. All right. A few hours later, in addition to the ongoing email campaign, he started to receive countless text messages. Huh. Now, uh, 2017 is probably the days of unlimited text plans, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't sure. remember when those things started becoming unlimited. But, yeah. yeah. But, so that's not going to cost him money. But he starts receiving We're talk, – he says we're talking tens to hundreds of text messages per hour. Huh. Which is a lot of text messages. Yeah. With both the emails and the text happening, after lunch, he started getting phone calls. Huh. So, like, everything's lighting up on this guy. Right. Bo is like, what is going on here? 
He says they were endless, literally ringing one after the other. And every time he'd answer the phone, it would be some random number, but it would be the same music. And it was holiday themed, not around the holidays. Okay. And he called the cell phone provider and they said, well, we can't really uh, do much about that except put you on the highest level of spam blocking. Hmm. But during the phone calls, while he was still deleting emails, he caught an email from his bank, Hmm. right? Telling him that they identified some suspicious ATM withdrawals from his account. So he verifies that these are actually from his bank and he calls his bank and they say, yeah, yeah, we've seen some uh, people are withdrawing like 200 bucks from different ATM locations. And he's like, stop, stop the card. Yeah. Stop it. And as soon as he tells him to freeze the ATM card, all of the text, phone calls, and emails stop, <laughs> which is interesting. Okay. And he was working with the bank on uh, remediating the other risks, like uh, web banking credentials, getting that fixed up. Uh, and then he says somebody is on another support line pretending to be him asking them to reactivate the card. Oh. Right. The person on the other end has all of the verifying information. And Bo's like, okay, this is obviously bad, but that's not me. And the bank errs on the side of caution and doesn't reactivate the card. Right. 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 Because if you got two people saying, I need you to reactivate my card, another person going, don't do that. That's (laughs) not me. The other (laughs) person saying, leave all my money in a bag out front of the (laughs) bank branch and I'll be by to pick it up. (laughs) Yeah. You don't listen to that guy. Right. Right. Okay. You listen to Bo. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, he got he got everything reset. He he doesn't know where they got his pin, but he thinks it probably came from a skimmer on an ATM because that's the only place he uses his his ATM card with a pin. That makes sense. Is to get get the money out. Right. Uh, he did file a police report, and he uh, they were encouraged because the ATM thefts were actually or the thefts were at actually local ATMs, and maybe they were going to get some people with the footage from the ATMs. Hmm. Uh, he did hear later that there was somebody arrested for AT, a string of ATM thefts, but he didn't know if it was his guy or not. You know. The, the bad guy. Uh, I, I, and I would be surprised if the police ever told him it was him. They probably just reached some plea deal with that guy and, and you know, either locked him up or gave him probation or something. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. But good news, the bank did make him whole. Uh, mm. They didn't hold him accountable for any of that. He was, he was reacting. But I thought this was absolutely fantastic. This is like alert fatigue five years ago. Hmm. That alert fatigue that cost the, I think it was the Uber breach or the Rockstar breach. One of those two breaches yeah. was due to alert fatigue. And here, this guy is trying to overwhelm Bo with uh, emails, phone calls, and texts so that he misses the communication from his bank. Oh, I see. So that he can keep getting money out. Uh-huh. But Bo didn't miss it. Bo caught it, fortunately. So just flooding him with every kind of communication, hoping that it, to buy him to, for the thief to buy himself time. Exactly. To, to be running from ATM to ATM. Right, because if you go from ATM to ATM and you don't distract the user, mm-hmm. right, then when the user gets an email from the bank and the, the user goes, oh, my goodness, this is happening. Let's, mm-hmm. let's shut that card down right now. Uh, but what happened was, uh, I, I mean, this flood of information was just to drown, hoping that, that that communication would be lost in the noise. Right. And it's a creative attack. It seems like it would require multiple operators here like while one person is going from atm to atm the other person is is running the the flooding the ddosing but just quick real quick uh, for folks who may not be familiar with the term can you just define what ddos is sure ddos stands for distributed denial of service yeah uh, and usually it has to do with overwhelming like a web page or a server or maybe even a client uh to knock them off the internet because uh, 
any computer can only handle so much traffic. And when you overwhelm that computer with traffic, mm -hmm. uh, it can't it can't handle it. And a lot of times they'll fail, uh, right. not in a graceful manner. So uh, there, it used to just be called denial of service. Mm -hmm. But the problem with denial of service is eventually, you know, like if you're trying to take down Google, right? Yeah. Uh, you cannot, you as an individual, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're Amazon and you only have one, uh, you know, one computer to launch from, it, it doesn't matter how big your pipe is, Google's pipe is bigger. Right. Right. So you're going to be, <laughs> You're going to be uh, spit in the ocean, as one of my old economics professors used to say. Yeah. So you distribute the task across many people, right? Now you have a lot of people that can come and uh, and take down uh, take down the target. Right. And uh, if they block one source, there's right. so many coming yeah. from so many different places. That's like my idea of if you have a pack of dogs, you you know, if you have to choose between twenty Rottweiler or two Rottweilers or twenty Bijans, I say train twenty Bijans as attack dogs. <laughs> Right, okay. because what happens if you know you you have two Rottweilers uh -huh. uh, and somebody manages to incapacitate one of the Rottweilers, they just reduce your pack efficiency by fifty percent. But if they incapacitate one of the twenty Bijans, they still got nineteen Bijans biting. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. And it's hilarious too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, all's well that ends well right. for Bo. The crooks got away with some cash. Uh, maybe they may have got also gotten arrested, but we don't know. But yeah, but yeah. Bo's good. Bo's whole. Right. Right. Wow. Hmm. I, I, I'm trying to think, how do you, how do you protect yourself against this? Uh, I, mean, I think that when you start seeing this, you call all your financial institutions, tell them what's going on and, you know, be on the lookout for fun. Uh, for, if you start seeing this, actually start looking through your communications for messages from your financial institutions. I see. Uh, I would bet that what happened here was this, uh, ATM guy probably just leased out these services from somebody on the dark net mm -hmm. and said, I, I want, you know, I, I'll, I'll buy, uh, spam texting services for a day for ten dollars. Uh, spam email services for a day for ten dollars, and spam phone call services for a day for ten dollars. Right, right. So it becomes very profitable for them. Right. Right. Interesting. Now, I this I have not heard of this specifically. Me that, neither. I'd never yeah. heard of this either, and that's why I thought it was remarkably uh, that I was floored by it. It was great, great story, Bo. Thanks for sending it in. Yeah. I wonder how successful this is. If 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 someone is not as vigilant as Bo was, right? To, to what degree does this increase the thieves' ability to take uh, from the ATMs? I suspect it it probably works pretty well. Uh, I would bet it does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Well, yeah. To uh, echo what Joe said, thank you, Bo, for sending that in. We do appreciate it. We would love to hear from you. Our email is hackinghumans at thecyberwire dot com. Uh, Joe, my story this week comes from Business Insider, uh, and this is about uh, is an article written by Hannah Toey, and it, the title is Tech CEO Calls Overemployment Trend a New Form of Theft and Deception After Firing <laughs> Two Engineers Secretly Working Multiple Full-Time Jobs at Once. Now, Joe, I, I saw this th story. This, yeah. is, uh, <laughs> this is coincidental to you. Oh, I don't know. Taking on two jobs. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> taking on two jobs at the same time. But uh, just it's what a crazy random happenstance. Yes. This would be my story this week. So <laughs> this is. I'm not doing two full time jobs. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Does either company know that? Yes. <laughs> Everybody knows everything that's going on. So, and I'm talking about it on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay. So this story starts off with uh, a CEO of a company called Canopy, a gentleman named Davis Bell, who shared on LinkedIn that uh, they had 
discovered that a couple of engineers who were working for them remotely had actually been working for two different companies full-time right? at the same time. Yes. And I've seen this a couple times where people have talked to— Now, I've seen this on Twitter from people bragging that they were pulling this off, right? Saying, oh, I'm a software engineer and there's such demand for us— um, that I can get a remote job. And I've seen people brag that they had four different jobs. <laughs> and now, that seems a little much, though, it, it? seems like a little much, but what they were taking advantage of was that if someone goes through the trouble of hiring you, you're generally going to make it through one pay cycle yeah. before they fire you. Right. And for these jobs, which are well-paying jobs, usually, you know, in the six figures, yep. uh, you have four of those— for two weeks or a month, profit. Right, yeah, <laughs> right. huge profit. Right, right. So in this case, uh, they had an employee who was uh, not doing well. They said after two and a half months of poor performance, they brought the uh, engineer in to talk to HR. Um, they actually checked with the engineer's previous employer, just did a um, uh, like an employee verification request, and the previous employer said, no, he's still working for us. Uh-huh. What are you talking about? <laughs> like he never, he never left. I understand why his performance is not so good now. Right, right. <laughs> he was missing meetings. He was missing deadlines. Um, another red flag was that he had taken his LinkedIn account and made it private. Uh-huh. And he was not listing the new company as his current place of employment on his LinkedIn. Um, so he was trying to hold two nine to five positions at the same time, wasn't able to make it work and ended up being fired. I have a bit of advice for anyone trying to pull this off. <laughs> Shut down your LinkedIn account. Just tell people you don't use it. Okay. Is this really what we want to be doing here, Joe? No. <laughs> so I'm curious what your take on this also is, Joe, because uh, – Lots of people have full-time jobs, yep. and then they'll have a side hustle, or yeah. maybe they'll have a part-time job. Maybe they'll pick up some hours on the weekend or in the evening to try to— I've done that. I've, know, yeah. I've worked at—there's uh, a local UPS distribution center that I worked at in the evenings. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's a great job if you need evening work. Yeah. Just to, so you pick up a few extra bucks, pay yep. off some bills, make, you know, maybe make some—fill you know, up your savings. Who knows? Yeah. But, but they're making the point that this is not that. No, this is not. This is this is fraud, straight up. Yeah, is what this is. You you know, we when you make, I don't know if uh, if there's any legal recourse that these companies have. Either one of these companies have, but mm-hmm. there might be. Yeah. Um. It depends on how the employment contract is written. You know, this will be your only full time job. And uh, I know that there are employers now that say you may not have any outside interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do, that violates the employment agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that they're going to go and get money back from the guy. Uh, that's probably unlikely in my right. estimation. But this would be a good question for Ben Yellen, what the uh, what the legal ramifications are. Yeah. I also wonder, like, is there a, an employment version of a credit report? You know, right. Where, I mean, because obviously <laughs> both this company and the previous company that he listed as being his employer, you know, none of them are going to have good things to say about this person. Right. Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. Uh, I've often wondered if there's some kind of secret database out there, Dave. 
Okay. <laughs> but there probably isn't. Because <laughs> no. I've been looking around for it a long time and I've never found it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's very conspiratorial of you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but I say, Dave, I, I, I didn't say there is out there. I just haven't found it. I said, I, I don't think it's out there. Okay. It's kind of like Bigfoot. You know, we've, had, I, we've done a lot of searching for Bigfoot, never found him. Right. I'm pretty sure he's not out right. there. If he exists, he's very blurry. Right. We know that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's one thing we know. Um, so I wonder if you're an employer, uh, you mentioned one way you could do this. You could have in your employee, your, your, your contract, be very overt and say, you, we expect that you are not going to be working for anyone else right. full time. Now, in I, I get in this case, clearly the person was lying. Right. They say, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and then they don't, they miss meetings and miss deadlines. Right. Right. But let me ask you this. Suppose you are an employee, an employer, and you had an employee doing this and they were doing a fine job. Right. They're actually working 16 hour days. Right. right? They're, they're, and they're, they're even managing the time well. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that point, do you care? Right. That's my question. Because Uh, also for a full time employee, they're not an hourly employee. Right. They're usually salaried. Yeah. You're paying them to do a job regardless of the number of hours they do the job. Right. Right. Now, I suppose for a full-time employee, you can say as part of the uh, position that we expect you to be available between these hours of business. Yes. Um, so there could be that. Uh, I don't know. It, it's. I guess if someone could pull it off and do a great job, then this never would have come up. Right. right? They wouldn't have right. noticed. But this person was doing a terrible job, according to this report, and that's when they got— Found out. Uh, Dave, I'm going to go ahead and bet that there are people out there who are doing a good job mm-hmm. and, and pulling pulling this off and doing it well. Yeah. And probably managing the time well and, and hustling like crazy. Uh, and they're probably young start you know, developers out of school mm-hmm. who've gotten a couple of jobs and, you know, they don't have uh, families, right? Because yeah. I'll yeah. tell you— Dave, there's no bigger time time sucking in the world than a family, and not that you <laughs> not that you shouldn't spend time with them. Actually, that's right, right, actually I look right. at you know my job is the time suck away from my family. Right, but, right. You know, good it, save, Joe. Right. Good save. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, we, we work so that we can be with our families. But if you don't have a family, maybe you do work two jobs and and do it well. Yeah, I, I'll bet there are people out there doing this right now, and nobody notices or cares. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I also suppose that uh, because there's so much remote work now and we hear about folks who get jobs and have never actually met the people they're working for, yeah. they get hired remotely, they work remotely, um, it makes it much easier for this sort of thing to happen. It does. Yeah. All right. Well, I will have a link to that story in our show notes. Again, we would love to hear from you. If you have a story you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, it is time for us to move on to our catch of the day. Speaking of remote work, Dave, our catch of the day (laughs) comes from Rodney, who writes, my youngest son's girlfriend has been unemployed and looking for a job for a few months. Hmm. She needs remote work. Hmm. She received this email yesterday and sent it due to being excited about it. Unfortunately, I had to be the one to tell her it appeared to be a scam. Hmm. I explained what was going on. From looking at the job posting on LinkedIn, over 400 people had applied, and there were several things that stood out. So, Dave, uh, why don't you go ahead and read this wonderful piece of uh, employment offer lettering. All right. It goes like this. 
For your consideration stand, you have just been confirmed qualified for this position. Congratulations. You are welcome to TBG Services. You are now given a chance to show your commitment, charisma, diligence, and be a productive employee. Furthermore, you will receive your duties via email every day, and I will always be online to assist you with any difficulties. After the orientation and training, an appointment to meet with a representative from the company would be scheduled to sign the forms you will need to complete, including eligibility to work forms, tax withholding forms, and company-specific paperwork. Your orientation will hold on a secure server because of our company policy based on the high priority of privacy of the company. Here are the names of the softwares you will need to start working with. Tracker to calculate your hours. Peachtree Complete Accounting Software, Sage Simply Accounting Software, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft Word, MacBook Pro. We have a finance department, the parent company for TPG Services, that will be funding this orientation program. They will be issuing a check to you to support the material listed above. I will let you know and provide you with the tracking number to keep track of it. Also, you would be going through a one-week probation period, after which you would start enjoying our benefits package, which include health, dental, employee wellness, 401k plans, paid time off, and holidays with generous company discounts. You will be working from home. You are to report online by 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, $24 hourly. You will get paid $20 hourly during this probation period. Find, attached, print, sign, and return through email. Also, please send me the below to enlist into the company register for proper documentation and mail your check for funds required to acquire your material. Further instruction will follow as soon as I get those details. Full name, current home address, mobile number. Thank you for taking the time to read this. We look forward to having you on board. Right. So you know what's going on here, right? Well, this is like a check, advanced check scam. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. Which they're gonna, is? They're going to send her a check. Yeah. Uh, she's going to deposit it into her bank, and then she's going to uh, go out and buy things from places they're going to tell her that they need to buy it from, which actually just winds up sending money to these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she's going to send back the other check that's the balance of what she didn't spend. And then the check that she uh, that she wrote is or that she received is going to bounce. And I see. that's how they're going to get their money. But it is just essentially a scam. And this email is very poorly worded. So <laughs> I think Randy yes. just probably saved his uh, his son's girlfriend a ton of money and heartache. But Probably had to break her heart in the process. I hope that she listened to him. Yeah. Well, you can see how someone could get excited about this. Oh, absolutely. Too. I mean, there's sure. Yeah. It's probably you know otherwise a, a good job, well paying, right? All that sort of stuff. Yep. But uh, you're right. There are those telltale signs. Lots of repetition of words that's odd. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when they list software, they put MacBook Pro in the software. Right. That last time I checked, that was actually a thing you could touch. <laughs> yes, indeed. Absolutely. All right. Well, our thanks to Rodney for sending that in to us. We do appreciate him taking the time. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Kim Allman from Norton LifeLock, along with Carrie Neal. She is from the National PTA. That is the, I suppose you could call it the mothership of all the, the PTAs <laughs> that, uh, that we have at our schools. Uh, and they are talking about a shared initiative that is called Smart Talk 2.0. Here's my conversation with Kim Allman and Carrie Neal. Well, really speaking also as a parent, it's a tough world out there to keep track of everything that's happening online with children, um, talking about equity across the country, making sure that 
families feel safe. And the best way to do that and provide that service for our families is to partner with organizations like Norton who can help provide opportunities for us to sit down at a table and talk about what's important to us, how we can stay on top um, on track of things and how we can learn together, including our kids in the conversation. So this partnership is one that we treasure truly um, and, and benefits our families across the country. Kim, can you give us a little bit of the backstory here about how the two organizations got together and what led you to where you are today? Sure. So Norton and PTA have had an alliance since 2013. And, you know, just recently we decided to invest um, over a million dollars to revamp the Smart Talk. The Smart Talk is really a collaboration with the PTA and it's a free interactive online resource that helps families have conversations and set healthy technology limits together. You know, we know from our safety insights report that four and five Americans feel it's essential for parents to teach their children about cyber safety. Even more telling is that 78% know that it's difficult for parents to keep children safe when they're online. That's why we think the Smart Talk is so important. And that's why we've invested the money and are willing to work and try and figure out more audiences and more families that we can reach with these important cyber safety conversations. So, Carrie, for folks who might not be familiar with Smart Talk, can you describe it for us? What, how exactly does it work? Sure. So it's a fantastic program and I have three children, um, two of which are at the age where they're really, they have their own devices and they're using them. And so you go to a website, you um, include your children's names, their ages, your information. And then what I love is it really walks you through, um, based off of your children's ages, what um, kind of questions you can ask. Um, how comfortable are you? And it also poses questions to your kids as well. So it gives you tools to talk about um, each things from, you know, cybersecurity to understanding what programs children or your kids are using, what apps. Um, it gives you the language to have those conversations, which I didn't grow up with the programs and the apps and cell phones that my kids did. So I felt really far behind and I didn't know how to start the conversation and be proactive instead of reactive. So it's very developmentally appropriate according to the ages of, of your kids and what they're doing. And at the very end of it, you have a contract that you and your, your children sign together where you're really making the commitment to being respectful digital citizens. And it just helps pave the path for, for families uh, to even just start the conversation. But also it respects that every family is different. Um, every um, technology boundary that a family might want to have varies greatly. And it really respects that. Um, and I, I know that our families appreciate that. Yeah, I have to say, you know, looking at it myself and, and having, uh, you know, raised a couple of, of kids with my wife, that this is a challenging thing for folks to deal with, for families to deal with. And I really appreciate the framework here that uh, it really makes it a collaborative process where you're not coming down on high as parents and saying you will or you will not do this. It, it really leads you through a conversation where you can find things that you all agree with. And, and as you say, it, it starts that conversation. Absolutely. And I know that when we first decided to get my oldest daughter a cell phone, I was very nervous about what's okay. I don't really know. And then also the time it takes to really stay on top of 
everything that's happening. And I think that she's probably a lot more technologically savvy than me. So I like that it provides um, a reminder to constantly update it because it's parents are busy, you know, two working parents at home, three kids, we're a busy household. And I like that it helps keep us um, on track with that, with regular reminders. And then if we couldn't finish it, we can stop and save it. Um, and I appreciated that too, because it's just a busy life. <laughs> Now, Kim, beyond this agreement that a family comes away with, what other things are you and your colleagues there at Norton LifeLock recommending uh, as sort of next steps once you you have this agreement and the family wants to move forward? Well, you know, I think that this we're really excited about the agreement, especially the new um, launch of it, because it really provides an opportunity for a continued conversation. Once you have the agreement, it gives you a roadmap to go back and continue the conversation. If you get new technology, if they want new websites, if they want more, you know, if, if kids are interested in, you know, different variations of, of what the agreement is, or if they, you know, as they grow older. So I think the, the, great thing about the smart talk is that it's really adaptable to how as the family changes as the kids are changing and as technology is changing we wanted that flexibility to really be a, a key part of of this tool you know Carrie it also strikes me that you know the PTA is certainly uh, an organization that's been around for all of my life um, and I'm no spring chicken. But it strikes me that, you know, as an organization, you all have had to adopt to these new technologies as they've come along. You know, the PTA is is not allowed, it's not just about bake sale fundraisers and, you know, community fairs and that sort of thing. Uh, you all have to adapt along with all these changing technologies. Absolutely. And, and we listen to what our families are saying and what our, our local units say that they need to support the families in their communities. And it's not just a reaction to the pandemic, but with the rate at which technology changes, the access level that our families have and their children have to technology, the way they're using them in schools, it's so fantastic. And we want people to feel very comfortable with utilizing technology in their life, feel safe, build that trust, but in a way where they know that it's vetted, it's from professionals, um, there's room for growth, there's room for variation between family and family. Um, and I appreciate that at, as a parent, but also as an advocate that we're not just the, the bake sale tweed pearls uh, group, we really truly <laughs> want to be <laughs> want to be where families are and where they're struggling and and where they need help. And this was one that was loud and clear: was help us understand how to keep our kids safe online. And it's just a great relationship. Yeah, Kim, can we touch on the inclusivity aspects of this? I mean, you know, different families, different communities have different uh, uh, have different amounts of access to this sort of technology. How did you all address that in the development of, of this platform? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question and is a really important focus for us. We made the tool really speak to what Norton and PTA's ongoing quest to advocate for inclusivity was. I mean, providing families with resources that they need to live their digital life safely. And, you know, as part of the effort to update the smart talk, we focus, we held focus groups, which were held with a wide range of families to ensure that the tools worked for families from all backgrounds, beliefs, and abilities. And, you know, after conducting focus groups with Spanish-speaking families and receiving confirmation that parents would appreciate the smart talk in their native language, the tool is now available in Spanish, too. 
So we'd like to emphasize that it isn't through Google Translate. We hired native Spanish speakers to authentically reach Spanish-speaking kids and families nationwide. You know, and another thing is that due to the fact that kids with disabilities primarily use screens to communicate, we opted to remove questions in the smart talk about screen time to be more cognizant of our word choices. So, and then we made the font and user experience more accessible for neurodiverse children. So it really was taking a step back and really examining what would make this tool more inclusive and more and reach more families. And I think we've done a really good job. It's, um, you know, the smart talk, we hadn't looked at it really to revise it since before TikTok. So there were lots of things that we had to consider and, and being inclusive was number one. Where do you suppose you're going to go from here? I mean, is is there is are there talks for a smart talk 3.0 on the drawing board already? I think we would love to see this continue to get revamped and revised and made better, but we're still reeling from trying to get this out the door for the last year. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so we just got this over the line. So, um, but I think you know the the really in, key thing to think about with this is. Technology is always changing. As I said, we hadn't looked at this before the advent of TikTok, right, to revise it. So, you know, we're going to need to continue to look at it for, you know, reaching new audiences and for addressing, you know, technology. And as kids and technology and families, um, you know, evolve over the course of time. So I think that we'll probably update this on a regular basis. Carrie, if listeners want to find out more about this, where's the best place to check it out? Sure, that's a great question. So I'm excited to give you the website here. It's thesmarttalk.org. And I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that once you include your your family name, you create that login and you put your children's ages, it jumps you right into choosing your which child that you're um, working on that agreement with. And it breaks it up into five segments. So the first questions are privacy and safety, but there's also communications, media choices, health and wellness, and keeping promises, which I appreciated each one of those and the language that it gave me because sometimes I just didn't know what to say. And so it really breaks it up for everybody. Um, Again, you don't have to do it in one sitting because I know sometimes it's hard to get all your kids in one area and corral them in to sit down and, and work on this. And sometimes you need to take a break and walk away and think about some of the questions. That's what happened with us. We really weren't sure what apps we wanted our our 14-year-old to use. So we took a break and then we came back to it. Um, and so I encourage everyone that um, has kids out there to go and check it out. Again, it is thesmarttalk.org. Joe, what do you think? Uh, some interesting information here. Uh, first off, it's great that Norton is making a tool available for school-aged children yeah. about cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about the fact that uh, a Harris poll found that 50% of parents of children 5 to 8 years old, 52% of those parents let their kids use social media. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That is bad for your kids. That's bad for you. Um, I'm not a big fan of social media. I, I, I really have locked it down. I think I still, I have a Facebook still. Yeah. I, I don't keep any of that stuff on my phone. Right. I really don't. Uh, I only access it from my, um, from my, from my computer. And even then only to check on people that I, that I know and, and interact with. Uh, you know, I had a, a great experience this weekend. I was talking to somebody 
who I said, uh, do you have LinkedIn on your phone? Send me a LinkedIn request because I don't keep it on my phone. I don't keep any social media on my phone with the exception of Facebook Messenger, and that's just to talk to my family. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. Yeah, but Joe, babysitters are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> so right. Just, just sit the kid back down with a tablet, <laughs> turn him loose on Facebook. Uh, or, I don't know. Don't, Ashley Madison. Who knows? No. <laughs> <laughs> just, You're going to wind up on dating sites. And, <laughs> right, right. It, it's only a matter of time, Dave, before someone makes a teen dating site. You know, um, mm, it's, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't. Th- I think that's a terrible idea. By the way, <laughs> I'm not endorsing that. I think that would just right. that would just be so bad for so many reasons. And 72 percent of parents of kids who are nine to 12 let their kids use social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, I have to admit, my son did have a Facebook account before he was 13. Yeah. So as much as I hate social media, this was but this was years ago, Dave. This yeah. was almost 10 years ago now. In fact, it probably was 10 years ago because he's almost 23 now. <laughs> Well, and I, you know, I remember having this conversation with my wife. She was, I, I was much more for uh, delaying giving them mobile devices. Yeah. Um, but she said, no, if they're going to be out and about, and our kids walk to school. Right. Uh, so she said, no, if they're walking to school, they're going to have a phone so they can, if there's an emergency or, uh, and also she was a big fan of the, um, the, you know, the GPS tracking on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, we use that. Uh, we still use that. And now uh, it's 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 turning the corner now, Dave. Oh. <laughs> that yes, my kids have that on there, so they know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because right. as I age, it's going right. to be more important. Uh, well, you know, it's not yeah, so important. Well, I know Joe where they are. wandered off again. <laughs> right. <and> he's, <laughs> he's he's walking around in a field somewhere, babbling to himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not uncommon for that to happen now. Anyway, right. gotta go find him. Right? Yeah. Where's yeah. Joe? Yeah. Well, uh, I agree. I mean, I think this is a really interesting effort, and it's nice to see this kind of uh, partnership between a well-known company like Norton LifeLock right. and also uh, a nationally recognized organization in the nonprofit space, the the PTA. It's something that's good for everybody. Yeah, and you know? I, I think you know, schools don't teach the the cybersecurity stuff. This is an opportunity for that to happen. Yeah, uh, you know they they. They might actually, I, sh- I say that, but they might teach like safe operation of things. I, I, but I, I get the impression that a lot of them don't. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's tough and it's changing so fast. It's hard for them to keep up. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, like I know my kids, uh, well, still have one in high school and they do have a technology class, but, uh, you know, the kids are several steps ahead of the teachers when right. it comes to this stuff. And that's high school where <laughs> they have the technology class. These kids are using this technology in elementary school. Right. You know, right. They, they're already digital natives. It's true. And it's really, it's one of the hardest things to get kids to understand is that people are dishonest. Mm. Uh, You know, that, why? Yeah, but lying's bad. You've always told me, yeah, it is bad, but they're bad people. Yeah. And they're going to do mean things to you. Yeah. All right. Well, again, our thanks to Kim Allman from Norton LifeLock and Carrie Neal from the National PTA. We do appreciate them taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at harborlabs.com and isi.jhu.edu. 
The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.